0: And welcome to Tech Live. Stephanie Christopher here, Chief Executive of the Executive Connection. Tech connects CEOs, executives and business owners to the world's largest business leader network. Okay, can you count me in? Absolutely. One, two, three, four. Today our guest is Yusuf Abdi, who is the New South Wales Coaching and Development Officer for Little Athletics. Yusuf has such an interesting story about how he found his way to Australia. But even more interestingly is how he set a dream, how he had a dream from an early age, how he followed that dream right through and how he has demonstrated such resilience along the way. And I'm really excited to be having that conversation with Yusuf. Born in Algeria, Yusuf fled his home country for Australia when he was a teenager and obtained Australian citizenship in 2000. A four-time national steeplechase champion and one-time 1500-metre national champion, Yusuf represented Australia at the Beijing 2008 Olympics, finishing sixth against the world's best, just 0.14 seconds outside of the Australian record, and competed at his second Games in London in 2012, finishing sixth in the steeplechase. So, a very impressive story. And former Olympian Yusuf Abdi, welcome to Tech Live.
1: Oh, thank you. It's a pleasure to be here, and uh, it's an honour to share my story with uh, with the listeners.
0: Oh, wonderful. Thank you. When did your dream of becoming an Olympian start? Um,
1: Probably when I was around maybe 12, 13. Yeah. Uh, So just to take you back a little bit, Um, I was born in Algeria in a tiny village of uh, about 800 uh, people. Mm. And um, when I was two, we moved to France. So my primary schooling uh, was done in France. Uh Uh, Great uh, memories. And for all the football listeners, I I went to school with a a soccer player called Thierry Henry, very Mm -hmm. famous um, in France, and he played for uh, Arsenal. And then we went back to Algeria, um, especially my mom. She um, she thought France wasn't a, um, a place. Um, it's too busy for her, I guess. Right. So she rather rather um, stay in a, a mm. smaller village, tighter community. So we yeah. end up uh, moving back as a family.
0: How old were you when you moved back? I was
1: maybe 10,
0: 11. Okay.
1: It was enjoyable um, because... You know, when you live in a, a small community, there's hardly any rules. You go out whenever you want. You yeah. come back home whenever you, you like. But one thing I noticed uh, straight away was the the, the commute to school. Mm-hmm. Um, my village was is situated in um, top of a mountain, and the school was at the very bottom of that mountain. So every morning we had to walk six k's to get to school, mm-hmm. and then in the afternoon we have to walk or run.
0: Easier 6Ks. in the morning than the exactly trip home. Right. Yes. <laughs>
1: Um, and I remember I used to run because uh, back then we only had one channel, uh, TV channel. Yeah. Uh, so um, they had cartoons in the afternoon. So I used to run to make sure uh, To I make get sure home. you got home yes. for
0: the cartoons, yeah.
1: And then one day I got home and um, they had the Olympic Games, uh-huh. the Barcelona Olympic Games, 1992. Yes. Uh, for me, I didn't know much about the Olympics at that stage. And I asked my dad. I said, "Why the cartoons are not on today?" So he said to me, "It's Olympics, and mm. when the Olympics, the world simply stops." Yeah. So I was kind of taken by by that phrase, and um, and I was a little bit upset because I wanted to watch my cartoons. That's kind <laughs> of my daily routine. However, I was very impressed by all the um, athletes and the events I was uh, I was watching, and. Um, I start to ask questions telling my dad you know w- what I- what is this tournament so explain to me a little bit that it is a tournament where the very best athletes all around the world they go to this one city uh, every four years and they compete and every country will send their best team etc etc so I was very um, pretty much I was started dreaming already about yeah. me going to this tournament and I said oh, do you think I can go one day and he said well you have to be an athlete first. You have to start, you know, choose a sport and start uh, practicing. And I said, yeah, can I be an athlete? And he said, yeah, well, you have two arms, two legs. So, yes, you can. Wow. So, that's pretty much where it started. And I remember back then we had a, a um, two famous athletes in Algeria. They actually, one of the most favorite to win the 1500 meters. Mm-hmm. Uh, but um, he finished seventh, I think. And then another one, a female, uh, she won the 1,500 meters. Right, which, at Barcelona. Yes. Yeah. So for a country like Algeria, and at that time, it was going through a very tough times with the rise of um, um, Muslim fundamentalism yes. and terrorism. So for a female to win on a world stage wearing shorts, athletic shorts yes. and so on, it was... Uh, uh it's like a defying moment for uh, for her and for females in general in in, in that country. And it did uh, inspire a generation, basically. So that's pretty much where my uh, desire to go to the Olympics grew. At and first, I thought I would go and represent Algeria, but it, it didn't and pan out that And way. we'll
0: get to that about how it didn't pan out that way. But what a beautiful start of the dream. And I love what your father said. You've got two arms, two legs. Of course, you can be an athlete. I I love that. So you started training um, then as an athlete formally, did you? Um, At first,
1: um, I was very active because obviously obviously the commute to school, but also um, uh, within the village, all my school friends, and um, we um, used to play football. Mm -hmm. So soccer was... um, uh, Will easily say the number one sport in many countries including Algeria so we I kept myself active but uh, not in a organized fashion I guess and uh, my older brother he started cross country with his uh, high school yeah and they started traveling to all the different championships and uh, for being in a small village it was kind of exciting to see this this guy suddenly traveling everywhere so I felt um uh, jealous in a sense, thinking, oh, you know, I want to travel as well. I don't want yeah. to stay in this tiny village. Yeah. So that's uh, what pushed me a little bit as well to um, to start uh, practicing. And then my dad did say to me, if you really want to go to the Olympics, maybe you should start training and why not go with your brother because he's training here by himself. Uh, so when he's at school, he's training with his school yes. team. but." Most of the time, because we are so far away from the main town, so high school for us, it was about 60 minutes by bus. Yes. So he had to do a lot of training by himself at home, especially during school holidays. Yeah. So then I started to um, train and, and run with him. Slowly, slowly, I was, you know, 100 meters behind him, and, and eventually I was catching up to him, and, mm-hmm. and suddenly I was I was, I was ahead to of him. him. Yes. Yeah. So that's when he said to me, wow, I don't like you Um you know, being faster <laughs> than me. However, I think you have um, uh, talent and I would like to introduce you to, to my coach and follow a, a specific training um, mm-hmm. uh, in athletics. So, um, so you are actually a, a training properly. So mm. that that was my introduction to a, a proper um, coach, I guess, and training. And that's how I, I started.
0: Having grown up on the upper north shore of Sydney... And someone with talent, what was made available to them straight away and the the commitment and the resources and the opportunities. What an interesting beginning of your athletic career, trying to beat your brother, basically.
1: Yeah, it, it is interesting. And it's not, uh, I guess, unusual to hear uh, many stories like this, especially in certain parts of the world. Yeah. And uh, also... Um, Maybe I didn't know it at that time, but in my in my subconscious, I I something was growing inside me, and um, something was pushing me, I guess, to something greater. But at that stage and age, I didn't know it. I,
0: you just like running yes. and being good at it. Some point, you came to Australia for some youth championships. Was that right? Yes.
1: yes. So, um, in I remember when I started. Um, serious training when my brother introduced me to his coach so within six months I made the um, the national squad so mm-hmm. we started traveling all around the country and then uh, we did go to Spain and Portugal and Greece so it was exciting and I started to really enjoy uh, that lifestyle of um, mm. of um, an elite athlete even though I was, yes. I was still only 14-15 but I, I, I could already see the um, uh, how uh, living a life of a sportsman could be and how exciting it could be if mm-hmm. I stay, in, you know, uh, doing this. Uh, and in 1996, the World Juniors, they were here in Australia mm-hmm. at Hambush. I remember that moment because my coach told us um, the World Juniors this year are in Sydney. So yeah. we didn't really know much about Australia and we had to go and look at a map. So we yeah. all rushed to the library and looked at the uh, the map So uh, it looked very, very far away, but um, straight away I started researching and uh, looking at all the different pictures—the opera house, the bridge, and so on—and I thought, "Oh, wow, this is so uh, such a cool country. It's so beautiful." So I really wanted to make the team. Tried really hard, and uh, eventually, yes, I did, and um, I uh, came here for the first time in August 1996 to
0: compete. Wonderful! What a what a great story. No idea about Australia and and you came. So now your story, the the dream is firmly set, and now the resilience kicks in big time. I mean, six kilometres up and down a mountain to get to school that's that's resilience in my world. At some point, there was a a terrible mix up that really changed the course of your life. Are you able to talk about that?
1: Yes, so, in, um, so when we finished uh, World Juniors here in Sydney, uh, we went back uh, home to Algeria. And um, we had a good team and we produced some good results and the uh, Algerian Federation, athletics that yeah. is, and the Olympic Committee had their mission to really look after us and nurture us and make sure that we don't, um, we, you know, we stay within athletics because as I mentioned mm. earlier, Algeria was going v- through a very rough time at that mm. period, and most of the uh, athletes, um, or probably majority of the of the athletes, um, we were all living in uh, small, tiny villages, yes. uh, not in the capital. So the risk of us dropping out, or even um, mm. with uh, the the um, insecurity and yes. uh, the situation being unsafe, the likelihood of us stopping. Uh, Mm. practicing or training uh, was very high. So they said, you can stay here in the capital. Um, You will train in this national training center and uh, we will be um, offered scholarship to um, study at uni and so on. So that was all great. Mm. But uh, however, um, when we um, arrived, they said, OK, you go back home now for a bit of rest and then we will contact you. But that phone call never, never happened. So um, then when I chased it up, I said, no, no, there's no, you're not coming back. You're staying where you are. Just keep training. Mm. I said, well, it's unsafe. And it was unsafe because um, we could clearly see on a daily basis terrorists basically driving past. Sometimes they will come to the um, uh, place where we train and uh they don't uh, threaten us directly, but they were they were always passing on messages because in their eyes we are representing the government. The fact we're wearing the colors of um, of the country, right? So it's almost like you, you have to choose your your
0: allegiance. Yes, mm.
1: and as much as we say, listen, we are we are just teenagers trying to you know live a dream and trying to train and hopefully one day become you know uh, an elite athlete. We're not representing a government, we're representing a country, mm. so anyway, yes, but I could really sense the danger of um being where where I was mm-hmm. that uh the danger is constantly around uh and then the options are very limited since um the government wasn't uh, looking after us through mm. the scholarship program and I missed my um I couldn't go to uni because I, the time pretty much has yes. passed, so I had to wait for another year, another yes. year to enroll at different courses, etc., etc. And the third option was to go to the army. It's funny I'm saying this, but it's almost like a, in a way, it's a safest uh, option yeah. because for us going to the army, you don't go to a your normal army where you actually trying to combat, Mm. you know, Uh, as a sports person, uh, you go to a sports-based army. Yes. In a lot of um, African countries and European countries, uh, uh, practicing sport in the army, it's huge. They even have world championships in, in, yeah. Yeah, I understand, yes. So it was a perfect setup for me, and also um, you could um, enroll into whatever course you want, so pretty Mm. much you are there, you training, you studying, mm. uh, and by the time you come out of the army, you 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 know you have your degree, and and you haven't interrupted your um, athletic your career. Af- yes, yep. but somehow I um, was sent to a wrong base, and uh, that's when all the mix-up yeah happened. And I realized, hang on, this is not uh, wasn't supposed to be here. And uh, obviously, I tried to um, alert the 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 people in charge and uh, they wouldn't really listen.
0: So it was a combat base.
1: Yes, it was. It was because um, those kind of bases, you pretty much uh, stay there for six months, training how to handle weapons and so on, and then they send you to to the the forest, I guess, and to the mountains to combat t- terrorists. And
0: that wasn't your dream. Uh, no,
1: that wasn't my dream. Yes, exactly right.
0: And so, what did you do?
1: So then I had to uh, make a quick decision and I left. So How quickly did
0: you make that decision?
1: um, Very quickly because I pretty much had, you know, maybe 24 to 48 hours. I had to gather some some money for a ticket. My plan was going to go to France, Uh but I didn't have all the uh, necessary paperwork at that stage and I didn't have time to do all the... um, administrative uh, steps. Mm-hmm. Uh, the only option I had was a visa to Australia from the previous uh, visit. We had uh, 12 months, yeah. so I just took the risk and, and came here. So my plan at first, it How wasn't... How old were you at the time?
0: I was
1: 18, almost right. 19. Okay. Yes. So my plan wasn't really to stay here. It was to just use this as a as a... A transit, you know, go mm-hmm. to the other side of the world and yeah. call it a transit and then go to France later on, but it, it just didn't happen.
0: How was that for you as a a young adult to make that decision so quickly in such a risky environment and move very quickly, escape really, to the other side of the world? How was that for you?
1: Yeah. It is, and it was an escape. Um, very difficult, but I think um, at that moment, I was um, I had a lot of adrenaline, I yes. guess. So I was really doing things so quick, and I was just um, in the moment. It was only when I um, arrived to the airport. I remember we left really early, like uh, 3 or 4 a.m. I remember it was really dark. And then when I got to the airport, my, my mom didn't come with us. So that was the first kind of um, mm. uh, when I left her at home, I could sense she was obviously very, um, very upset and she couldn't really do much to uh, to make me change my mind. And uh, then my dad, as we were approaching uh, Algiers airport, he started crying. And I didn't I didn't understand at, the, at that time thinking, well dad, what are you doing? You mm. know, like you're supposed to be the one showing me mm. some courage and strength and you're the one crying. Uh, so I had to be the one who is, uh, yeah, I guess, uh, the stronger out of the two. So I kept, even though I was really hurting inside, but I somehow I managed to keep um, a straight face and uh, kept calm and you know, I looked like everything was fine and under control, but I knew that uh, it wasn't the case. Deep down, I was really suffering and uh, and also going to the unknown. Um, so it was uh, it was just, um, yeah, it's hard to comprehend. Like I don't even know how I did it now.
0: Yes, uh, isn't it funny when you look back as an adult to something that was so important in your life? I know that story. If you don't know how you did it. I don't know how much you're comfortable talking about this, Yusef, but when you say escaped, you actually left the camp and headed back to the village. Yes. With some running involved, I'm yes, assuming. Yes, yes, yes,
1: yes, because it was very, um, uh, it was pretty much at the other side of the country. So um, to get back to where I was um, or the village, yeah, it was a long, long
0: way. Right. So what a combination
1: story. of, yeah, running, catching different um Uh, means of transport to get there yeah
0: yeah well that in itself is an amazing story of resilience and and rather than going through everything that happened but there's one part of your story i do love that you went to the ibis hotel at darling harbour (laughs) because that's what sydney was to you
1: Yes, when we um, first came here to compete yeah. uh, because everything was, uh, I guess, uh, sponsored and looked after by the uh, organizing committee, um, so we didn't know how much uh, the cost of uh, mm. hotel and meals and so on. <laughs> so, And I didn't know anyone, so straight away I just asked the taxi driver to take me to that hotel. And uh, on arrival, when she told me the price, uh, my heart almost stopped. Mm. So then I I remember I booked for a week, but then I said, "Uh, listen, I changed my mind because I'm actually seeing a friend tomorrow, so I'm just staying one night. Mm. Yeah, I didn't really sleep very well that night because I was constantly thinking. I think I only had about $700 when I made the, you know, converted the money into Australian dollars. So I knew that, um, yeah, it's not going to last very long. And Mm. I needed to find a solution very quickly. So, yeah, it was very uh, stressful times. Mm.
0: Mm. Very stressful. Incredibly stressful in a a foreign city that you had to navigate without as you say sponsors and an organizing committee telling you where to be every every 5 minutes
1: yes and also uh, in, in Algeria I, I I spoke berber as my mother tongue then french when i went to uh uh-huh. france uh then when i went back to algeria we studied arabic at school so english wasn't really uh no. something i spoke when i was a kid so uh, i couldn't even communicate properly with with people so Yes, it was very difficult.
0: Where did you learn English? Where did you learn most of your English? So, um, pretty much here. Uh-huh. Uh,
1: just, um, I guess, when you are, as I say, desperate. Um, what's the saying? Desperate measures, mm-hmm. desperate times, desperate mm-hmm. measures, something yep. like that. Yeah. Um, so I managed to, um, I guess, speak slowly, slowly. I I managed to learn. And then eventually when I became an Australian uh, resident, I did go to, um, um, I think it was TAFE. I did a six-month intensive course. So that's pretty much where I, I started to learn proper English, I guess, so I could communicate with, with people and also to have access to the, the business world.
0: Yes. I love when you say proper English because I have read about you that you learned some English on the job early on, and it was pretty colourful.
1: Yes, that's right, because some of, uh, obviously it was very hard for me to get a job because each time you walk into a coffee shop or a fruit shop or, you know, then you start talking, straight away they say, oh, no, we don't have any job. Uh, The only job I got was uh, at Merrickville Metro. It was Mm -hmm. a shopping centre, and uh, this Lebanese guy employed me because I could speak a little bit of Arabic and... And the job was just collecting trolleys. So you don't really need to speak anyway. Yeah. But I think he was um, more interested in the fact that I was fit. And I said, listen, now I'm an athlete. I can run all yeah. day if you want. I can collect all the tro- yeah. trolleys of this suburb. You know, you don't need to worry about that. So that's pretty much the uh, the selling point uh, for him. Uh, and it suited me well. But the pair was pretty it was $5 I think from yeah. memory yeah. yeah so i had to work really long hours just to survive but it didn't did bother me um at that time it was uh, more to survive and uh, i was independent which was um or again you know was some, somehow independent by earning money so that was very important for me so i could pay rent buy food and so on and then the language you learn is just from yeah. people like me, I guess, just new to the country. They hardly uh, spoke English, so it was just a mixture of, yeah, very colourful yeah. street language.
0: Yeah. yeah, you pick that up straight away.
1: That's easy to learn, by the yeah, way. Yeah, that's yes. right, yes. easy
0: to learn. What is it about you that helped you focus on your dream right through and that gave you the resilience and will to survive?
1: I will try and explain it, but I think the fact I had that dream from a young age and somehow I wanted to go to the Olympics no matter what. So even though I knew I wasn't naive, I knew that uh, uh, it wasn't going to be easy, especially after my life pretty much shifted or Mm -hmm. changed course or path. It would be very difficult, but something inside me just had that, uh, that desire to get to the Olympics one day. And also when I left, my dad, I remember he said to me, you're not going to Australia just to eat and go to the bathroom. Yeah. You make sure that if this is your dream and this is the reason you're leaving your brothers and sister and, uh, and uh, your parents, and your life behind, you need to make sure that you get there. So that's probably what pushed me, I guess. And um, also for me, I just saw the Olympics as a, as a, as a part of me. That's I, I, I realized from a young age that being an Olympian is is almost like I was destined to become mm. an Olympian. So therefore, um, I had to do everything possible to to get there. And sometimes you hear or read stories about other people and their journey. Uh, it's never easy, so that that gives me comfort uh, because I I think okay, so it's not just me who is going through hardship. Uh, even this person who made it to the World Cup in in football or, or made it to the Olympics in gymnastics and. And, you know, whatever the sport might be, they had to go through a rough time because their country was going through a civil war or, or they were dodging bullets when they were training. But they kept their um, their focus and they got there. So for me, there's no reason for me to, to fail. And the fact now I'm in Australia, it's a safe country. Uh, I have all the opportunities in the world to actually make it happen. Yes, it is hard. I... Uh, I don't speak the language yet. Yes, it is hard. I'm not at uh, school or uni or, uh, or work, but I'm safe, I'm healthy. Uh, and if I just keep pushing, uh, eventually things will um, fall into the right places. Mm. Over How did time. it feel
0: walking into the stadium at the opening ceremony in 2008 in Beijing?
1: Oh, it was incredible because even before I got to Beijing, I remember uh, my hope was to run in Sydney. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I wasn't selected, so that yeah. was a, a heartbreaking moment. Uh, in fact, I even almost gave up athletics, and then uh, uh, I stopped training for a few months. And then uh, at some point, something—a voice inside me was telling me, "No, you cannot do that. You, you know, you, there's nothing wrong with you. You're still young. Uh, you don't let something like this." Um, stop you from continuing so then in 2004 same thing i i won the olympic trials and i wasn't selected mm-hmm. uh, that's the irony with the uh, um uh, the selector sometimes you, you win the the, the wow. trials and you still yeah, you right. might not you know uh, gain selection mm. so anyway in 2008 uh third time lucky i was selected and uh, it was an honor to put the green and gold um Jersey on and uh, walking into the Olympic Stadium, um, it was just mind blowing because it's something that you've been training and dreaming mm. uh, for a long time. And uh, then suddenly you see, you know, 100, 110,000 people. The lights
0: flashing, flashing. Yes, it's, yeah. it's
1: just, yeah, you feel like, he, you know, that movie The Gladiator, like yeah. you go into yeah. an arena and your, your heart is just beating so fast. But then at the same time, a something calms you down suddenly you don't hear anyone because you are just in your own own world you are there to do your your thing it's almost like you are there in front of the world but you are there by yourself so it is incredible and then and then knowing you lining up against and and with the best in the world in your um, in your trade that's an honor, an honor in itself mm. Yeah, it was just an amazing feeling. And before I got there, I remembered I uh, I had a tattoo of my people in in Algeria. So I'm a Berber, and Berber are, Berbers are the indigenous people in Algeria. Right. So in a way, we are marginalized a little bit as well uh-huh. in Algeria. So for me, it's another way to show that yeah, we are here. Yeah. There is one of you guys, even yeah. though I'm running for Australia, but I'm representing you. Yes. So for me, that was a goal or a box that uh, I ticked, and I'm very proud to do that.
0: You must be so proud. And your parents watched you on TV, I'm assuming, in the opening ceremony, didn't they? Yes,
1: funny enough, that was the first time my mom and dad um, saw me run. So all those years when I was running back home, they never came to any of my cross-country races, or uh, sometimes we will be competing a uh, couple of k's away from where we lived, but they never actually saw me run. So that was the first time. On wow. TV.
0: Wow. Yes. And your older brother, did he keep running?
1: No, no. Same with my other... Um, I've got two brothers. Um, they didn't. And that was that's the faith. If you stay in Algeria, that will yeah. be, yes. And, and deep down, before I left, I knew. Yeah. So that's why I took the risk and came to Australia.
0: This has to be a movie. <laughs> it has to be a movie. Your parents... Your father having that conversation with you on the way to the airport and then sitting watching you run for the first time at the Olympics. It's an incredible story.
1: Yes. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm very proud. As I said to you earlier, sometimes I don't know how I managed to do all these things, especially being so young and limited with um, language and uh, finances nah. and so on. But uh, yes, it's it's incredible, I guess. And sometimes when I hear, even when I watch the news, sometimes people uh, moving to another country, I, I do understand and feel what uh, what they go through. But I don't think if I if I had to go back and, and do it again, I don't think I would have the courage to do it.
0: Yeah, I mean, I just while you've been talking, then Yusuf, I've been thinking about that visa. How lucky!
1: How yes. lucky
0: that there was an Australian visa kiki on your passport that you could just Yes. React Sometimes
1: to. yes. Uh one person told me an advice. You don't get many opportunities in life. Sometimes mm. you will get one. Mm. And that's in every whether it's in business or you know, yeah. In, yeah, you can apply that to any, yeah, anything. And if you don't take it, you will you will never see that opportunity again. Yeah. So I guess with me for this particular scenario, it was the visa. I had that visa in, and I took the chance and I took the risk. Um, most of the other uh, um, athletes from mm. that team or my teammates back then, yes, yeah, some of them are in Algeria right now. I don't know what, what they're doing. Some of them obviously stopped running. Some of them probably are still in sport, but definitely I don't think they're living the kind of life I'm living mm. here in Australia.
0: So tell me about post-Olympics. You, you lived the dream two Olympic Games, what did you do then when when you'd reached that pinnacle and then it was time to think about something else? How was that for you?
1: Yeah, it's always hard, I guess, when uh, you start to see the end of the journey or the you know um, what what's next but uh, with me I was very fortunate that uh, this job in athletics um, came at the right time and it's almost it's my hobby anyway so getting paid for doing your hobby mm-hmm. that's that's like a dream in itself mm-hmm. It just came at the right time. I think I was just very lucky. And I do enjoy working in athletics because it's something I have done all my life. So I do go to schools a lot and uh, I tell them my story as um, I I, I do a a presentation where they actually see pictures of my village and the Olympics Mm -hmm. and how Olympians live inside the Olympic village. Mm -hmm. So it is, um, I think, an honor to share the story with all these kids. Uh, We go a lot to a lot of schools, regional New South Mm -hmm. Wales, Metro. And I'm hoping that, uh, especially for regional kids, that it doesn't matter um, where where you are or where you're from. If you have a dream, if you have uh, the courage and the desire to pursue that dream, you can. Because when I compare myself or the area where mm-hmm. I, I, I was born and um, did most of my athletics, compared to... The kids here in Australia. It doesn't matter how regional. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, they are still a lot, mm. you know, better off. They have proper um, training facilities. Mm. They have uh, their moms and dads. They drive them everywhere. Mm. Uh, mm. They have good food. You know, they good schools. So these, there is really no reasons for them to um, to achieve their goals. So I try and convey them that mm. message. Um, hopefully it's uh, translating and, uh, and um, hopefully some kids are benefiting from, from my story and they will take it on and absorb it and hopefully it might um, have an impact on them.
0: It's an inspirational story and you've just said three words, to have the dream, to have the courage and to have the desire. And you've really shared those three parts of your story with us today. There's a fourth word I'm going to add, and that's humility, which which oozes from you, Youssef. Thank you for being so open with us and sharing your story of inspiration and sharing your dream. Thank you very much, Youssef Abdi. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. So that's Tech Live for today. CEOs are in the business of making decisions and leadership is the art of execution. I'm Stephanie Christopher and look forward to talking to you next time.